and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witz University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Well, today, Kobus, we're going to be talking about, uh, well, it's really a repeat story. This is the third time in six years that the Dalai Lama has sought to go to South Africa, and for the third time in six years, it's a no-go. And this really broke last week, uh, and it really made the, the headlines just, you know, all of the China-Africa stories all across the web just turned over to the Dalai Lama. And I guess, Kobus, to me, in some ways, uh, should we be surprised that the Dalai Lama is not going going to, uh, to South Africa, in part because, um, well, actually, before I ask you that question, you know, let's just be very clear here with one very important thing, and this is what the South African government wants us to know. Uh, they did not deny the visa for the Dalai Lama, okay? I think that's a very important factor because a lot of the reporting has been wrong, saying that he's been denied a visa to go to South Africa. What apparently had happened was, through intermediaries, the Dalai Lama was informed that he would not be granted a visa, so he ended up canceling his trip. So let's just get those technicalities out of the way. Now, question to you, same one. Should we be surprised that after two prior attempts, he was not allowed to go? Uh, a court case that actually, you know, criticized the South African government for not granting him a visa in due time. Uh, and now here we are in 2014, and the Dalai Lama was once again refused entry into South Africa. Or again, let me just shorthand, uh, was going to be refused entry had he applied for a visa. What surprised me about this is that Everyone kind of played their the, the same script out again in the same way after after you know kind of facing you know a, a burning wall of of criticism the last time they did. So the South Africans again drag their you know kind of drag their feet. The Dalai Lama again kind of cancelled the visa, um, and then the and then the Chinese government you know kind of thanked the South African government for respecting its territorial integrity, which I kind of felt you know kind of wouldn't it have been less trouble just to let the poor man come to South Africa. I oh, mean, no, how no. much of a thrill could it be, you know, to attend no, like a conference are, yeah. in South Africa? Oh, no, so, no, 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 no. Yeah, That's you know, not the I way mean, the, the Chinese work. They that's don't, not how it works. That's I not know. how it works. So uh, let's just back up here a little bit. Uh, the Dalai Lama had, had wanted to go, uh, had he not canceled his trip, to the World Summit of Nobel Peace Laureates in October. Now, there's two parts of this story that the Chinese don't like. The first part, clearly, is the Dalai Lama. Remember that the second is that... Uh, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. That is not a big yes. fan of theirs. They don't. They don't like the fact that the Dalai Lama was selected for the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. The Nobel Peace Prize Committee has also selected certain Chinese dissidents, uh, and so this is really there's no love lost between the the Nobel Committee and the Chinese. Uh, but he back in 2009 sought to go. In 2011, he wanted to go for the birthday of uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. That was turned down. That then led into a court case where they delayed the answer on it, and it passed, of course, the birthday party for uh, Desmond Tutu. And then a court case came out and said, the, the South African court, that the government was actually wrong. Now, here's a question that I had, and this is a question that I raised on Facebook, and I didn't get a really good answer on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I've been looking forward to asking you this very question. The rejection, or the, this kind of scandal, if you will, occurred at the same time as South Africa's foreign minister was in Beijing meeting with Wang Yi, the foreign minister, and also other senior uh, Chinese officials. Do you think there was any coordination between the foreign minister in Beijing uh, and the Chinese government, or was it all coincidence? 
Uh, this is very difficult to answer. <laughs> What's your suspicion um, based I, on South African politics, given that you know that um, quite well? My suspicion is that it might not even have been directly um, – it, it needn't to have been directly orchestrated between, you know, kind of, you know, in Beijing or during the Beijing visit for it to have played out the way it did, that it did. You know, kind of, it could also have been a kind of a, a self-censorship of, a, you know, in, in a certain kind of way or a kind of a, a, an, an anticipating what China would like to hear, you know, kind of, and, and the, the, the South African government acting in that kind of way as well. So it's a kind of a, you know, it, it acts as a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. Um, I think also that in in this case, you, you need to take a few South African issues into into account. I think there's a fundamental fundamental tension here about what how South Africa really sees itself right at the moment. Is it still really invested? Um, in this idea of itself as a human rights paragon, which is obviously its its image during the during the uh, the late nineties um, under Nelson Mandela, or is it moving in a in a developmental state direction? Uh, I.e., you know, kind of is it is it uh, you know, does it is it more influenced by the way that China does does things, or you know, kind of is it still trying to to represent this kind of role that that it inherited after the end of apartheid? I think that's really one of the one of the fundamental issues. And right at the at the centre of that lies Desmond Tutu himself, um, because Desmond Tutu, obviously Nobel laureate, um, a human rights paragon and also very very strident critic of the of the current ANC government almost weekly Desmond Tutu you know kind of nails the ANC government so there's no love lost there um and you know kind of I think I think this this is a kind of a crystal ball moment in in which you know in terms of which way the ANC is leaning it seems to be leaning in the direction of China and developmentalism I would guess I would agree with that you know and again I think this is what really shocks people about you know when South Africa does this is because it is the home of, you know, Nelson Mandela, of Desmond Tutu, and of so many others, and, and really this iconic kind of view of human rights. And I think in that respect, it's really uh, quite shocking for some people. But I thought, you know, the, looking at the analysis of this, the Daily Maverick, uh, which is, you know, one of the more entertaining news sites that, that South Africa has, um, I love their so slogan, you ain't seen nothing yet. Do we, are we supposed to take the Daily Maverick seriously or not? Yes, the Daily okay. Maverick does, does pretty good work. I mean, they're very they're, they're opinionated, but they're opinionated in in a, a columnist by columnist sense. You know, so so one take one needs to take the columnists individually, uh, you know, and, de and deal with them. But the, the Maverick itself does good work. Okay, so the Daily Maverick came out and uh, with what I thought was the best headline: "It's business, Mr. Lama. Nothing personal." And I think that's really what it does come down to. Now, put yourself in South Africa's position, and and again, I'll defend South Africa. Defends the wrong word. Uh, I don't. Want to defend South Africa in this? I will uh, <laughs> explain South Africa's point of view, and I did this in a discussion on Facebook as well. And kind of take their 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 stance here. And this doesn't explain the 2009 and the 2011 uh, kind of issues, but it does explain the 2014 one. Every single piece of Chinese economic data that comes out makes the, the RAND move up or move down, makes the Johannesburg Stock Exchange move up and move down. South Africa's economy is now intimately linked with what happens in Beijing. It's the largest trading partner. It's increasingly and fast becoming the largest investor in South Africa. The emergence of the Chinese auto industry in South Africa employs tens of thousands of people potentially. Uh, in terms of when you take into account suppliers, when you see the growth of the Chinese population in South Africa, there's a better presence 
influence there. This is a vital economic relationship. When you look at the European relationships and the Americans, these are economies mired in recession. Certainly the Europeans are going back into recession, if not deflation. Uh, and when you look to the next 20, 30 years, you tie yourself to the BRICS, which they are an S in the BRICS, uh, and maybe not to the Europeans. And so your values will then be dictated by the, 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 real, the real politic of the economics. So um, that's, that was, that's my assessment, and that's a little bit what the Daily Maverick is saying as well, um, that this is all about economics and suffering a, a blowback and the real-world consequences of accepting the Dalai Lama, and trust me, there would be consequences, severe consequences from the Chinese of doing this, uh, especially when the Chinese have you know, disproportionate power over, uh, over Africa in terms of the sh- over South Africa in terms of the sheer size of the trading relationship. Um, it's, I understand where they came from. What's your thought? Well, you know, kind of let me let me quickly pick up on one point that that you mentioned. Like, what kind of consequences do you think they would be? I mean, do 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 you think the 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 Chinese would blow up their BRICS relationship with Africa because no. of this, or no, no, you know, no, no, kind no, of no, like no. What, would would they? You know, I mean, I, I can well imagine they be they might be a chill in the relationship, but I mean, what what how would that chill actually constitute itself in real life? Now, here's what's very interesting. Understand that the Chinese are very very targeted. So, when the United States. Uh, put uh, sanctions on, went to the WTO and put sanctions on certain, I think it was pipes, Chinese pipes came on. The Chinese went after the congressional districts of the people who sponsored the bills and then canceled contracts that had jobs in those congressional districts. Okay? (laughs) This is for real. This is how they play politics. Mm. They are not joking around. And there is nothing more serious to the Chinese than Taiwan and Tibet. Those are the issues number one and issues number two for them, because it has to do, again, with the territorial integrity of China. And the perception in China is that if the empire is strong, and the empire has always been defined by the borders being secure, and when the empire is strong and the borders are secure, the, the central government and the emperor is strong and secure. And that has been millennia of Chinese history. So it is deep rooted in their DNA that says if you try and separate China into pieces, the perception, again, and I'm not trying to take on the propaganda of the Chinese. This is the thinking inside Beijing that says if you try to divide China, to split China, uh, you know, by recognizing the Dalai Lama, by recognizing Taiwan as separate entities, um, then they will, they will come back very, very hard. Uh, so what would some of the consequences in South Africa look like? Uh, this is one of the perils of state-owned enterprises. So on the one hand, it lines up investment very quickly in places like Africa. We've talked about how the financing, how the investment, how the jobs, how the infrastructure, everything can go very quickly compared to democracies uh, where it's not organized. Well, the flip side of that is that it can be undone just as quickly. And so I would imagine without, you know, one of the announcements after another that Hisense is opening up factories in South Africa. Uh, You know, we talked about the Beijing Automotive Works. These are all either state-owned enterprises or closely related to the state. So they would pick a district that is politically sensitive for the government and for the ANC. And they would all of a sudden, that factory just closes. All of a sudden, a trade delegation that was going to sign a billion dollars in contracts just gets delayed and delayed and delayed. All of a sudden, you start to find out that, you know, NASPERS, you know, all of it has more problems getting products approved for the China market in their investments in the digital space there. And it just becomes really complicated. And that's what I think happens. And when the policymakers in Pretoria sit down with their corporate friends and say, is this what we want? Do we need this right now? When Jacob Zuma is under enormous economic pressure to get the economy going, I think they go, this is a headache that we don't need. 
And I imagine that the Chinese have whispered into their ears, don't try it. Yeah, I think, you know, in a, in a way, this whole situation becomes this very interesting, almost referendum about the, the position, what kind of position the West is going to have um, in in the, the, the coming century. Because one thing I think important thing to kind of keep in mind about about the Dalai Lama, which, which recently struck me, which I never actually thought about before, is, you know what, I don't know what the Dalai Lama's voice sound, sounds like. He... He exists almost exclusively as a visual emblem, you know, kind of as, as a, you know, kind of the the glasses, the the robes, the the smile, the the bald head, he, you know, kind of he he's is he's almost like a panda in a way, you know, kind of not 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 to disparage him in any kind of way, but but in Western life, he he's almost pure symbol, you know, kind of it's almost difficult to even think of him as a politician. Um, and you know, so so, and and he's a symbol that can, that comes kind of pumped to us via media networks that are located in the West through people like Richard Gere, you know. Um, so I think, and and this has a this 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 kind of Western dominance in supporting the Dalai Lama has a has a kind of a a, a politic a political kind of impact in South Africa too, because the this um this summit where he was which he was supposed to attend was to is, is going to be held in Cape Town and it's and it will be supported by um the opposition party or actually by by the Cape Town City Council which is which is um, controlled by the opposition party and the ANC was already criticised by the mayor of Cape Town who's a a very uh, she's a, a very prominent opposition politician. Um, and you see in South Africa, the people are the most upset by the by the Dalai Lama kind of being cancelled or his, his visa not being, you know, kind of not being facilitated are frequently white liberals. Mm. Um, you know, kind of uh, people like Andrew Donaldson, who's, who's a, you know, kind of a, a white liberal-esque, um, you know, kind of uh, journalist who, uh, who recently published <laughs> this op-ed saying that now we're China's bitch, which, you know, I thought, okay, <laughs> you know, well, that, that happened. Yeah. Um, um, you know, kind of, and but, but you know, and at the same time, the the South African Communist Party um, re they, today came out saying oh, they that thrilled. they don't want exactly they're thrilled and they don't ever want to give the Dalai Lama a visa. Well, you know, so so it really it it, it comes down to this this weird kind of like like referendum on like what what's the future of kind of Western liberalism in in South Africa? I think. Well, this is not just a question for South Africa. This is also and let's before the West gets on their high and mighty horse. Let me just remind everybody that the Dalai Lama himself in 2010 uh, was escorted out the back door of the White House past the trash cans. And this is no joke, yeah. past the trash cans, so that he couldn't <laughs> get the, you know, the photo op. Now, Obama has since then you know, proudly taken his picture in the Oval Office with the Dalai Lama. But there have been some interesting graphs that have circulated in the past couple of days showing the, the Dalai Lama's travel over the years has gone down precipitously. Uh, and that's because more and more countries simply do not want to tangle with the Chinese, particularly because the Chinese now are more powerful than they've ever been. Uh, so this is really not just an issue for uh, South Africa. Uh, the Dalai Lama is welcome in fewer and fewer places around the world because other countries are like in South Africa. They've made investments. They've got deep military exchanges, political exchanges, cultural exchanges. I mean, you think of all the different things that could be jeopardized by, uh, you know, a, a breach or a break in the ties with China. And it's significant. Bear in mind, too that if China decided to slow down the economic relationship with South Africa, it would really be meaningless for China. It would, it would not even it would be a rounding error. 
but it would be absolutely devastating for for South Africa. And I guess yes. in some ways, this is the concern about what what you and I, what I've called, but what we've talked about is the tributary relationship between China and Africa. You know, we've talked about these terms of neo-colonialism, imperialism, and I don't think it's either one of those. But what it is in the tributary relationship, it's this one country that is huge and has so much leverage over these tiny, smaller countries. And I think this is what that embodiment of, of a tributary relationship looks like. I tell you what to do and you do it. Because if you don't do it, you will pay a price. And that actually ties into the history, into China's long history of how they've dealt with, uh, certainly with Vietnam in you know millennia ago, and other smaller countries around the uh, around the periphery of China. So I think that's an interesting kind of paradigm and framework to think about this. I think so, but I, at the, at the same time, I also think that this this relationship is generating new kinds of political energies within Africa itself, because one of the very interesting things about this communist South African Communist Party, you know, kind of supporting the you know kind of the the Dalai Lama not coming, is that they they say we we have to remember that China always always opposed apartheid, um, and that you know that now it's our turn to oppose the the Bantustanization of China. Now, now, what that means is Bantustans were the little fake countries that the apartheid government set up in order to house different different ethnic groups under, under high apartheid. Um, and, you know, kind of so, so by, by linking the Dalai Lama and Tibet itself, Tibet, Tibetan nationalism, to essentially apartheid policy, it's such a kind of interesting kind of rhetorical sleight of hand. And, it you know, kind of it, it, it does give... It's, it's you know kind of African elites now. I think are not simply kind of passive, passive victims or, or receivers of of this kind of client relationship from China. I think they're actively reinforcing it or like de- developing new kinds of political rhetoric to uh, building out their side of that. You know, kind of uh, justifying their side of of that relationship. And that I think is really important to keep an eye on. Well, this is only going to be a temporary problem, in part because the Dalai Lama is getting quite old. And, uh, and the Dalai Lama, like Desmond Tutu, will not be with us forever. Um, and I suspect that what's going to end up happening is there is no replacement for the Dalai Lama after him. The Panchen Lama uh, is, does not have the, you know, certainly is more, is, you know, it, it's just there is no one else. He's irreplaceable as a political figure. Uh, and, and the other kind of key thing to, 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 to think about here is that Tibet as an issue, and you talked about it in the context of uh, kind of white liberalism, and I would say that's true uh, in the in the U.S. Uh, as it is in Europe, as it is in South Africa. So this is really a cause célèbre of white liberals. Um, that too is fading in some respects because the second generation, the younger generation that is so keyed into social media for their news, um, doesn't have the same connection to the Tibet story that maybe in the 80s and 90s, uh, you know, say, you know, middle-aged people my age who, who grew up with Richard Gere and whatnot did. And I, I think that goes, there's a credit to the Chinese that are given in the sense that they've been so effective at controlling the media message out of Tibet and shutting down the web and shutting down any kind of media outside uh, of the country when there are disturbances that people on the outside simply don't know anymore what's going on. This isn't a passion issue for a lot of people. So I'm going to refine your comment about white liberal South Africans. I bet you those are white liberal South Africans over the age of 40. Yeah, probably. I, yeah, think, I, I think so. I think a 20-year-old, you ask him about Tibet, they're just like, yeah, I don't really care. 
You know, mm. I mean, that's my suspicion. I might be wrong on that. Um, certainly, if I am wrong on that, boy, oh boy, are we going to hear about it on our Facebook page. Uh, <laughs> so, so flame me, troll me at uh, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Um, it's all done with the best intentions, really. But it is my suspicion that the flame is not burning as, as, uh, as, as hot for, uh, for Tibet as it, as it once did. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that people are pro-China, uh, but it, it's... Um, you know, I just don't think we're going to see a lot more of what we saw in Paris with the Olympic torch, where there was a lot of anti-Tibet protests. I, I just feel like those those days are passing. So um, the Dalai Lama will not be going to South Africa. I wonder if he'll try again. Uh, this is the third time in six years. I think every three years, every two or three years, he tries. It, it's uh, it'd be surprising if he if he tries again. Um, I think the yeah, South Africans have I mean, made it pretty clear to him they don't want him in this in their country. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, kind of, we, it'll be interesting to see how Tutu also reacts to this. Um, you know, kind of Tutu, yeah, you know, kind of Tutu, his, his health is, is not great. Um, you know, kind of, he's, he is actually the last of this, this kind of great generation of anti-apartheid fighters. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the, the break, this kind of emotional break between him and the current ANC government is really is really palpable and it's it's very it'll be very interesting to see you know kind of how this develops as well another interesting story to watch we wanted to kind of bring you this one in part because it is uh it again it's a manifestation of chinese power as well and i think it's so interesting on so many different different aspects uh listen kobus if people want to follow what you're reading and writing these days what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you I'm on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter at E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. E -O -L -A -N -D -E -R. And I also want to give a big welcome to our new listeners who are joining us from the Chinafile.com website. That's Chinafile, C-H-I-N-A-F-I-L-E.com. If you're not familiar with Chinafile, it's, uh, it's a project of the Asia Society in the United States. And it's really, you know, my take on it is that's the most prestigious and preeminent uh, Sinology website uh, that I've seen anywhere in the world. But it's got at least, you know, the top American Sinologists. And we are there. We have a page on the site with all of our podcasts. We're there alongside some of the great uh, you know, China watchers, uh, you know, of the modern age. So I, I think, Kobus, you and I should wear a suit and tie because uh, we're in very good company now. It's it's kind of humbling, I must say. <laughs> so yes, check us out on the, on the China File website. And if you're listening to us through that website, welcome. Uh, we're thrilled to have a whole bunch of new listeners to the show. Uh, once again, just to echo what Kobus was saying, Facebook is a fantastic resource. Uh, we've got facebook.com slash China Africa Project, over 220,000 followers now from all over the world, having every day a a great conversation on China-Africa relations. Kobus and I are posting uh, almost uh, 18 hours a day, sometimes even 24 hours a day. Kobus uh, in South Africa, me over here in Asia. So we've got the, the two big time zones covered. Uh, so go ahead, join the conversation, let us know what you think. And of course, if you want to follow this podcast, the best way to do it, look us up on iTunes. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear what you think. And it helps other people find our show as well, if the more people that rate it and give us a comment. So until next time, thank you so much for listening to the China in Africa podcast. <laughs>